0: Welcome to Protecting Our Freedoms podcast. I am your host, Joy Vacherbeck here with my co-host, Mark Renahan. How are
1: you doing today, Joy?
0: I'm good. How are you, Mark? I'm
1: fantastic.
0: And today is the final in our four-part series titled Perspectives on Afghanistan, Past present and future. Today's guest is the Director of Middle East Studies at the Marine Corps University. He is also a US Marine veteran himself. And before Mark introduces him, please support our programs by going on YouTube and Rumble, subscribing and commenting, and also all of our other social media outlets.
1: Okay, well, like Joy has stated, today is part four in our Afghan series, and today we have an incredible special guest. As Joy stated, he is the Director of Middle East Studies for the Marine Corps University. He is the co-author of Taliban in the Crisis of Afghanistan, as well as many other books and papers. And he is from a quite prestigious Afghan family, I have looked up. He is also here today on his own. He is actually on vacation, coming to us today. Is nice enough to do that. He is uh, here just for a, a friendly coffee talk on Afghanistan. So without any further ado, Dr. Amin Tarzi. Doctor, how are you, sir? I am
2: well thank you for, and thank you to both of you for for the invitation no oh, thank hey, you for coming thank on you. we're
1: quite honored uh, doctor whenever we start our show we we like to begin with just acting uh, asking our guests to give us a, a quick bio of themselves and you know and how they came to be where they are today
2: okay well uh, again uh, salutations to all your listeners uh, my name is Amin Tarzi and uh where I am right now, it's, uh, it's, it's a long journey. I will not bore them with all of them, but I was a Marine long time ago, a uh, different century, literally, having a, uh, a new center uh, put together uh, for studying the Middle East to broadly study it from an educational perspective. So this is part of what we call in the military lingo or PME or professional military education uh, for, for the Marines and others who are in there. And, and, a, and a colleague, long colleague from the Marine Corps said, you know, they're looking for you. I jokingly said, oh, they can't look for me. I'm too old and too fat to do that job anymore. <laughs> they said, no, 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 there's a job you should apply. So I applied and, and here I am. Uh, I have been the inaugural director of the Marine Corps, uh, Middle East Studies at the Marine Corps University. And uh, uh, my background, uh, the name actually comes from Afghanistan. As Mark, you said, uh, my family is originally from Afghanistan. I was not born there. Uh, I was born in, in Czechoslovakia, oh, okay. uh, modern-day Czech Republic and in the city of Prague. Uh, so I'm a very... Uh, I'm a mutt. I mean, a mutt in, in all senses <laughs> of the way. Uh, and uh, uh, that's that's the short short end of it. I have a PhD from on in Middle East Studies, so it's kind of I'm tickled because every time I go to my office, it says Middle East Studies, and here I am with Marines, which is my tribe. People tell me which Afghan tribe you're from. I say I'm from that tribe called the Marine Corps, <laughs> uh, and uh, and then I'm te- you know I'm directing Middle East Studies, what's what I actually study. So it's 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 a job that uh, I do not only because I actually do it with honor, but also it's it's it's, it's humbling to mm. be. Uh, at a position where I, I interface with uh, those people who put so much more online than than most of us do. Uh, so that's what we do. We study the Middle East as a whole. Uh, my area of of coverage starts on India and goes kind of all the way to Morocco. So that nice little area there that we call the greater Middle East or, or uh
0: Well, thank you for your service, first of all. And my husband would get a kick out of you saying that was your tribe because he's a Marine himself, did two tours in Iraq.
2: Yeah. Well, that's it's something. It's it's, it's a thing that you know. Even though my 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 times are so long ago, uh, it's 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 an understanding that we have, and maybe in classrooms even also. I'm not saying you have to be a Marine to to be able to teach. Uh, and, and and we are a smart bunch but it, it, you know you just know the lingo you know the understanding of what it means I mean why is education important because it, it, it prepares us at the end of the day uh, we serve war fighters that's the end game uh, so education is not a, a secondary issue it, it, it's an active participation in making sure that we understand uh, and, and I say that word in a, you know epistemologically. we understand we stand under the subjects that we deal with and always it's not just just active kinetic warfare as we have seen in Afghanistan elsewhere it is that and then it's a lot more uh, and and the smarter we are I think uh, we we are not the largest military but it is it is our smarts and our thinking ability our creative and critical thinking ability that makes us in my view uh the best uh, Doctor, in, in, mm-hmm. in future that allows us to be on top
1: you stated that you weren't born in afghanistan um when did you first visit there and how many times have you been
2: oh well know i lived there uh, i was born in Czechoslovakia, but i was very young that i brought into afghanistan so i was saying uh, i was like in one or something and i stayed there on and off until the soviets invaded so mm. i was born uh, in, in mid-60s so until uh, 1979 i left afghanistan in march of 1980 uh, the Soviet Union invaded on Christmas Eve 1979 and my family uh, was not very liked by by the communists so uh, they basically we all left without any identity when I entered the United States uh, and I'm still on my uh, you know certificate of naturalization it says country of origin it says stateless so I did not have a country because the Communists lit and it actually took our identity and said you don't belong to anywhere so i you know i I was always saying about this country about america i said look uh, yes i wasn't born here but this is it i I didn't have anything i didn't come from a country x and became an american i came from no country and this is it and that's the only reason i joined the marine corps honestly I, i didn't do it for a gi bill or any of those things i did it because i thought i wasn't born in this country but i had to do something more than just paying taxes and speaking english to, to be part of this, this land that I have, that has you know, accepted me. Nobody asked me to change my name. And, and, uh, so I, I lived in Afghanistan from, I would say age of one or two until 14, 15 and enough because I did, we came to the U S at one point, I lived in Pakistan for a while, but that was my place of, of living, uh, so up to, up to about four, 15. And then I didn't go there for a long time because it would have been uh, a Hotel California woman uh, checking in and not checking out. But then I went there uh, back in... Uh, I, in 96, I went to the northern part under a whole different program uh, during the Taliban, but Taliban had not taken over uh, the north. And then after uh... two thousand and one i've been there back and forth uh... for work uh... quite a few times uh... last time was two thousand and nineteen that i was there
1: okay well geez, that's that's inc- very, impressive. Very, so very impressive so w- we want to kind of get into it so many one of the reasons why we started the series doctor is uh... of course everyone saw afghanistan in the news with the evacuation and you know the pull out and all that uh, I, I know as you are an expert on the issue um, when we were looking for guests, and, we, and we, Joy was actually reading your book, which we have here, The Taliban and the Crisis of Afghanistan, and we thought, this is the person we really need to speak to. So I guess um, Joy would start off with a couple of questions she had for you.
0: Yes. Uh, first of all, I understand from one of your articles that you were one of the originators of the 6-plus-2 scheme for Afghanistan. Uh, could you explain exactly what the 6-plus-2 scheme for Afghanistan is to our listeners?
2: Oh, yes. I, I can do that because we actually created it uh, a long time ago. Uh, this this whole scheme was kind of the end game of the troubles, the first troubles in Afghanistan. Well, not the first, but one of the ones before 9-11. What happened is, is uh, briefly, is the Soviet Union invaded, as I just said, uh, uh, Afghanistan in uh, December of 1979. And the Soviets were there for exact almost 10 years uh, until 1989 uh, and they were defeated there they left and the Soviet Union eventually collapsed so between 1989 the communist government of, of uh, then Afghan President Najibullah stayed in power uh, miraculously uh, without the Soviets uh, until 1992 so this is where uh, things get uh, a little uh, ugly uh, in 92, the what uh, we called here in the United States the Freedom Fighters or the Mujahideen, which we had supported throughout the 80s against the Soviets, uh, they came and in, in entered Kabul in, in uh, 1992. And unfortunately, they could not govern. Uh, mayhem broke loose. And, and there was just atrocities, killings, uh, and, and infighting in, in Afghanistan. A, a, a very bloody and uh, pervasive civil war during the civil war one of the new phenomena that that rose in 1994 i don't want to make that you know just too historical but in 94 was the emergence of what we know today as the taliban the taliban came out through the ranks of the mujahideen uh with direct support of the pakistani government uh and and some other support from other regional countries but mainly uh from Pakistan, uh, they were the word "Talib" literally means a student. It, it, it comes from the Arabic term to to seek. But these are seekers of knowledge, students of the madrasas or Islamic uh, uh, religious schools, uh, and and they were they came from the ranks of the Taliban. So during this time, you have the Taliban c- kind of taking over slowly from the south. You have fighting going on in the north. Uh, the the international community was trying to find a way to stabilize afghanistan the fear is now at the time was what we eventually saw 9 11 happen that all these people who had been fighting against communists now the soviet union has fallen uh they have learned how to fight uh they were supported by the west the united states included but now they went back to their countries mainly in the arab countries uh, terrorism is on the, on the rise at this time, and and what to do with Afghanistan. So, at uh, the United Nations, there was this idea to create a situation to make sure that Afghanistan is not directly, uh, the Afghan war is not directly uh, managed by just the neighbors, Pakistan, Iran, uh, and, and 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 large. The involvement of the international. So I come back. The 6 plus 2 was to in- allow an enlargement of the participants who try to make peace in Afghanistan beyond Pakistan and, and Iran, which because they were directly involved and they had their own interests, and actually they were prolonging the war, not shortening it. Uh, so this scheme was created in the UN. At the time I was working in the UN, United Nations in New York, uh, was an idea to create a situation initially they wanted to have a regional but Pakistan was adamant for India not to be involved mm-hmm. so to take India out of the game and make sure Pakistanis join in uh, we came up with a, with a solution to have the neighbors of Afghanistan the direct neighbors meaning those countries that have a direct geographical uh, uh, not proximity but actual border with Afghanistan, mm-hmm. which are six countries. The six the three Central Asian states, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan and Tajikistan, China, Pakistan and Iran. So this is your six, And then the two we decided that what how to make sure that these countries, because some of those were not as interested, again it would give Pakistan and and, and Iran and maybe China a leverage we brought in a plus two the two was the soviet uh, sorry the russian federation at that point and the united states and this group started working on afghanistan to create a uh, a, a peaceful solution of course uh, the results of that was that the taliban took over kabul uh, and, and it, the peaceful transfer of power never happened but that's the scheme of six plus two long long answer to a short question but i couldn't just Say it so, sorry I had to go and beat around the bush so much.
0: No, interesting because no. I don't think too many people have heard that six plus two scheme. I have not. So Thank you for sharing that.
2: This was not uh, very much in the public. Although six plus two was, but how it happened uh, was not uh, discussed uh, at large. And still, you know, it was done within confines of of certain countries within the UN. This this scheme of six plus two was heard, and it was it was public. Uh, and it was actually kind of used again uh, uh, after 9/11, and then recently I keep on hearing people talk about it, and I kind of smirk when I hear it because I don't know if people actually understand where why it started and where it came from. But it's a good way to go back to uh, enlarge it. But uh, but yeah, that's that's what it is.
0: Well, thank you for sharing. That. And, and I have another question. And- Interesting that you're a Marine and then you are a director of Middle East studies. So coming from both perspectives, um, what are your thoughts on nation building versus just going in, getting the mission done and getting out?
2: Okay. That's again, uh, you're asking very deep questions. <laughs> uh, They're they, they, they very valid questions. So don't get me wrong. It's just that I can't answer yes or no. Uh, it depends. Uh, look, this is a slippery slope when you go and and, and and look at that if you look at afghanistan i mean let's look at the two cases we have done in our history in the united states in the past have done both
1: mm-hmm.
2: look at world you know some of the the greatest military political achievements of our country internationally i'm saying is i will say the greatest is world war ii you can you, you just can't put a value that the fact that we are right now the world leader the fact that the world you know the systems of the world right now are being challenged by China and Russia. Is, Russia is challenging them by, by, by disruption, but China is actually challenging them with with, with a, a very, very clear strategy. Mm-hmm. The system was created at, at World War II. You know, the World Bank, the IMF, the United Nations, these are all American ideas to create a system an order in the world. Not necessarily that we are the only power, but that, that there's a balance, that there's freedom of navigation, that mm-hmm. there's uh, uh, and, and some degree of human rights, so we don't have what happened in the Nazi Germany, uh, and all of that aspects were created post World War II, and, and look at what we did: the United States of America turned two arch enemies, and I'm here talking about Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan, not only. To two allies, but to two pillars of stability in this system. This is only the United States at that time could have done that. This is absolutely incredible. So we nation-build it if you want. I don't like that term in that sense, <laughs> but we did. We went into Germany and we, no, look at today. Look at the, the Federal Republic of Germany. I'm not saying we built it, the Germans worked their, their Heidi's off. However, the opportunity was given there, we worked with them. Japan, the same thing. In Japan, we we went in there, we even worked on their constitution, article nine of the Japanese constitution still there, which means Japan cannot be militarized, although right now people are thinking again about it, but I'm not gonna go there. Uh, a country that we, 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 you know, attacked our country, just, you know, we just had an anniversary of it a few days ago in early December in Pearl Harbor, mm-hmm atomic weapons were used yet it became today it is one of our most important allies yeah it was nation building it wasn't just the conquest and, and all these marine landings uh, you know which we are all all marines are so proud of we have the blood stripe in our, our uniform because of those uh, landings so that happened the kinetic happened But the minute we, Japan surrendered on on board USS Missouri, we actually went in there and and nation-built it. So that happened, but there is a question. If if you want a nation-built, you have to have a partner on the other side. What we did not do right, in my view, in cases, let's jump now to the two modern cases, Mm -hmm. Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, In Afghanistan, we went in there, and our mission in Afghanistan was not to go Afghanistan did not attack us, let's not forget that. And none of the 9-11 uh, uh, people who were in the plane, the terrorists, were Afghan. They were all from the Arab countries. Mm-hmm. However, it came in from Afghanistan, so it was a legitimate target. No president, no matter who was pre- or the president of the Af- United States at the time, it just happened to be uh, President George W. Bush, we had to react. There was no question about that the question is what happened afterwards and President Bush very early on said look we are not in the you know I'm paraphrasing him we are not in the, in the business of nation building we're going to go and smoke out Osama bin Laden and kill him but that policy suddenly shifts without a strategy and I hate I, I have to say this personally on a personal capacity suddenly democratization nation building uh, all of that becomes the main US foreign policy in my view Going to your answer the same thing in iraq we actually destroyed a system that worked saddam hussein wasn't nice but he had a system decapitated it without filling anything to it so look what happened so if you do if you want to do nation building you have to have first and foremost a willing partner on the other side a willing partner and it has to be a joint project you can't nation build by throwing money at a, at a place that creates corruption we saw it in both places so the answer to your question is a very important question that you're asking. It is, it is crucial in my view as we move forward because everybody thinks about this major power co- competition. Major power competition will be proxies. It will be small little conflicts and how we go about them. Some of them require just the kinetic defense or, or, or achievement of our objective. And that's it. Some of them require and this is where the education comes in, partnership real partnerships, not just calling it, you know, shada Bashada, which was the symbol of, of uh the NATO troops in Afghanistan, shoulder to shoulder. It has to be shoulder shoulder. Because as we saw, it wasn't shoulder to shoulder because within within a day everything collapses. And in Iraq, of course, you know, Iranians are now have a hand in most of it. So how we can do that, if we want to do nation building. First and foremost, again, and I say this in a, in a very personal capacity. Foreign policy has to have a long-term objective and cannot change every election. You do that, you can't nation. No. Secondly, it has to be an objective that is shared with the people that we work with, not just by a leader because the leader can escape, like Mr. Rani or Ashraf Rani, but with, within a, at least a group within that people, at least within a a. A, a strata of the society. In that case, you have a Japan or Germany. The capacity was there, and we helped. Mm-hmm. Or else, you have a Iraq or Afghanistan. So, so both ends of it, we were involved. It's just how it was done. Uh, so, uh, again, I may have created more questions, but that's that's my view on that one. But-
1: well, we like it when you create more questions. Yep. It, it it helps us quite a bit. Joy's actually got a whole bunch, so she's got another one coming up. <laughs> Go ahead, Joy.
0: Well, actually, building on what you were just saying, because I read the article um, you had, I think, was in The Diplomat, and you were talking about um, strategically, we really, and we're beyond that point now, but we should have stayed in Afghanistan, or at least had some select few in Afghanistan for intelligence, and also to be, um, have the two bases you mentioned, to keep bases there, so we have a presence in Asia. Yes. If you could expand a little more on that for okay. our listeners. Uh,
2: first of all, uh, that that piece you are talking about, I am not the only person. So there's uh, Major General uh, Julian Dale Alfred, yes. Yes. Uh, and he's he's there. But I'm not speaking for him. He is in uniform, and I, uh, I whatever we, and I'll tell you my perspective within that article.
0: Okay.
2: Uh, we wrote that on September the 11th, 2020. The date was selected for a specific reason, obviously. Look. In my perspective, so I'm talking about my side of it, and, and I can't speak for, for, for uh, my co-author on that one. I
0: understand.
2: Look, the, the, the idea is and unfortunately you know, it's, it's, it, I hate to say it I told you so, but it happened is going back to your first question, I piggyback on that. If our situation in Afghanistan was just killing Osama bin Laden, that happened almost 10 years ago. So we should have left. Mm-hmm. That's it. We did the objective. No, it was not. Almost a week after 9-11, a week after we got in officially to Afghanistan, which is October the 7th, 2001, This the, 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 the narrative was that the United States is there to create a democracy and, and a, a partnership and so on and so forth. So if that becomes a strategy of President Bush, Obama, Obama listens it but still keeps it, and then it comes in by President Trump, and they say, okay, now we're going to leave, negotiate and negotiate leave, a uh, departure. But who is, who is on the other side? We suddenly decide that these Taliban, I'm not saying we should not talk to the adversary or enemy. We have always done it, Vietnam, everything. That's, that's how wars end, usually, especially in insurgency. However, the guarantee they gave us had absolutely no It's like you know it had no 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 value and as we saw that that's one two is we never really argued on this issue of okay how how can we do this that we leave but we have a transactional this is a key point here a transactional agreement with you guys and this is a transactional agreement we are not in your country we are leasing two bases two or one well my argument would have been for two specific bases you don't see our faces. These bases are not for training your military. These bases are not for... We won't even come in to your people. We will actually have a barbed wire around it. You don't come to us. We never we come by air. We go out by air. That's it. All we do is we pay you a certain amount of money. You say that you're going to make sure you curtail terrorism in your land. We say, hallelujah. You do that, and we pay you that certain amount of money, which is the least we're paying you. This is the transactional aspect of it. We are there, we do our own job, we just listen, and we will keep an eye if we see terrorists that you don't see, we will inform you, country to country, officially. And if you take action, fantastic. We may even get a bonus for you. If you don't, if you need our help, we will support you that. But if we see that you're actually supporting them, then, of course, things will change, that's, that's, that's the issue, because also if, you, if, you, if we don't do that, with whatever happened in Afghanistan, good or bad, the policy, the investment, both in, number one for me is, of course, American lives. We forget about that. Sometimes it, You know, there's a lot of Americans who lost their lives. Mm-hmm. We talk about the 2,000, 3,000 dead, but it, the effects of the Afghan war are gonna be here for a long time with families. Beyond that, the Afghans, the treasure and the political capital you know that our trustworthiness has already gone down. If it was, you know, you get, we all work on our credit score, you know, eight hundred or whatever. Well, our credit score has gone down right now. Friend info, the four of course is rejoicing. The friend is saying, can we trust these people? Because every other two years they change their mind abruptly. So all of those were factors, but the factor that is the most important is look at what's happening between China and Iran right now. They have this strategic partnership for 25 years. Mm. And if that goes according to plan, China will have a direct access from the Gulf with all the oil and gas. They will need oil and gas for the foreseeable future. And ports right outside of the choke point of the Hormuz, straight into the landline, curtailing our maritime maritime, mitigation processes. We, all we think about is, okay, if the Chinese and us go into some kind of a a problem, we have the choke points in in Southeast Asia. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: The maritime, of course, our Navy is, is, thank God, is is, is much more powerful and will stay like that for a while at least. So that's where we bank on. But what if they just go on land? But so we basically have given them a straight line, and no American base or any American places we can do something. This over the horizon thing, I'm not going to talk about. it But hey, uh, it has its issues. We uh, major issues, I should say. So by leaving all of that without even a, 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 a degree of trying to do it, enticing the Taliban. Look, we recognize you, and that would have, in my view, again, 20, you know, hindsight is 2020. 20. But what I'm saying is, first of all, it would have prevented the mayhem we saw, which we're still going on. Number two, it would have allowed us, now we're going to free the Afghans because everybody wants to feed the Afghans because there's going to be a mass starvation. It is on us partially. So now we have to deal with the Taliban. we have got to legitimize them with nothing on our pockets. And if we don't, there's going to be a mass starvation and, and mass refugee crisis. So this way we would have paid humanitarian aid a lot of this money would have been given in lieu of that base, and yet would have had eyes in the sky, looking at China, looking at Russia. We gave up some of the longest highways right next to China. We keep on talking China. We decided, that, okay, China's only gonna play games in, in Southeast Asia and South China Sea. Well, it's not gonna work like that because they're not working the way we want them to work. They're working the way they want to work. And then you say, okay, you want to play here? Okay, fair enough, we're gonna go, we go just straight west. It in, in, in invest there. Seven hundred billion dollars Chinese investment in the Middle East in the past few years. Mm. Seven hundred billion dollars. <laughs> so that that's, that was the argument, and 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 as we said, you know, said at the end of it, nobody said that would be easy. Mm. But negotiations are not never easy. We just basically gave up. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say this, but that's exactly what happened
1: well well doctor it's it's interesting that you you brought up we've had other guests on the show and and one of them was talking about how he he feared there's going to be a humanitarian crisis and he was a former veteran and as much as he you know i don't know what the proper phrase is as much as he was kind of doesn't ever want to work with the taliban or with that he uh, legitimizing them he, he thinks may be necessary or or recognizing them in order to just to divert uh, a humanitarian crisis um how do you feel i, I know of course, you're a Marine, once a Marine, always Marine. And I know that in the uh, evacuation, we lost some Marines. Um, how do you personally, or just how do you feel in general, I don't want to say personally too much, uh, about legitimizing the Taliban? Do you think that they could ever become a government that could be taken, you know, for lack of a better term, seriously? Or, or which I guess is your, your opinion. I know in your book you mentioned about the possibility of a moderate Taliban. And what's your take on that?
2: Okay, thank you. Yes, we lost Marines uh, in the evacuation, but before that. But again, we decided to talk to the Taliban. So, th- those are always there. We lost people to the to the J- Germans and Japanese, and then we sat with them. and, and, and You have to get over that point. That that point, I think, is 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 like, understandable. It's not about us loving them. It's about working with them and trying to hopefully create a, a situation which is which makes our security better so we have no more losses or, or need for, for deployments. And I do agree with that, that it it is it, it, we have to do something on the humanitarian However, where I, I, I am still drawing a line is, it's still possible to do that without full recognition of the Taliban. And there are mechanisms, uh, for example, uh, there are ways to pay into funds that are handled by, uh, by the IMF, International Monetary Fund, or funds that are, are handled by by the UN humanitarian agencies. So, what you do is you give the fund to specifically to, uh, you, you know, a World Health Organization or or the Food and Agriculture aspects of the UN that work on the ground, or or NGOs that we trust, uh, or a consortium of countries because some of the countries, you know. Uh, some of our allies are opening embassies, working through them. Uh, and yes, the Taliban will be notified that this this fund is coming for, for this uh, purpose. It is for a humanitarian purpose. Will there be some siphoning off? I'm sure it will be. But also to tell the Taliban that, and, and, you know, we understand that, but these are the things we want from you. So far, you know, things that are important is is, is – the number one is that they do not allow terrorists with international reach, and this is key, terrorists with international reach to, to g- germinate in the country. They haven't done that so far. They have a problem with the you know ISIS, the ISKP, the Islamic State of Khorasan province, that they're actually fighting them. So it's not that they're, they're helping them. So they so far, they're, their record on that is okay. Where the record is pretty bad is that some of the folks that are right now in the Taliban uh, government or people that we have, uh, we have money on on their heads, especially within the Haqqadi network. Uh, Can we ask them to remove those people? It's not just if we ask them or not. I think the moderate Taliban that we say, they exist, but they are right now uh, being challenged by the the more hardliners. And right now we don't have much say there to empower one against the other. So the, the humanitarian, uh aid we give them does not empower one against another you know what i'm saying so yes humanitarian has to go in my view it's an imperative for many reasons first because it is the right thing to do secondly it's going to be a crisis on on many fronts Uh, but it doesn't mean that we should immediately recognize them. recognition should be uh attached to some actual action on the taliban basis for example this is, I'm just agreeing my views right off the cuff, that the Taliban have a more inclusive government. If they can come up with that government, and that government lasts for more than a day or two, that is something that, that could be uh, worked out. So there's a value added uh, to that, because, you know, the negotiations that went on the past few years, we gave the Taliban a lot of freebies for no reason. Uh, and and, and, and whatever we give them now, other than the humanitarian aid that goes... Short of recognition, has to be attached to some action on their part uh, that, that 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 is more in line with our policies. Hmm.
1: Interesting.
0: It is interesting,
1: and I, thank well, you. Well, doctor, we, we're kind of coming to the end of our show, but we have a little less time left time left over. I think Joy had one question that I was going to ask, but I noticed it's on her notes, so I'm going to let her <laughs> ask it. So uh, ask. I, it's a, a great question, but go ahead. <laughs>
0: Well, I think um, he pretty much summed it up with the part in your book I had read about, is there a moderate Taliban and how would they react? And now that they have taken over rapidly, um, how do you see them interact, at, let's say specifically with Afghan uh, women, because we're our first guest on, she actually worked with a lot of the Afghan women over there. The
2: yes, yeah. the look, police. one of the greatest achievements of the Afghan war, it was not the reason we went there by any means, was the empowerment of the Afghan woman. Afghan woman has as always, unfortunately, the the, uh, the governments in Afghanistan, specifically the the, the uh, Islamist governments have always curtained the women's rights as part of showing how how much they are more radical. Uh, Afghan women took leaps and bounds and showed to the world and to the Afghan society that they are not only just a symbolic uh, group within there that they actually are engine and, and and going back on that is, is very sad. Uh, it is it is heartbreaking. <laughs> are there Taliban within Taliban there who, who are more open to having women? Yes, there are. Uh, right now, as I said, there's a, a major, major struggle. You don't hear much about this within the Taliban hierarchy. Uh, and I would say Pakistan is the only country that could could work on that uh, that that is looking at at you know allowing some women more you know perhaps coming back to jobs yes wearing the wearing the head coverings and all that but but become more part of the society and there are some who want to go back to taliban 1.0 uh mullah omar omar was the founder of the taliban his son uh is alive uh, in the haqadi networks these people actually think the taliban since august have been very very soft uh they are very anti-shia for example anti-woman freedom and they want to go back so there's a struggle going on right now uh, do we have a chip on that 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 roulette table i don't think we do and and, and how can we buy that chip you know what is having a, a clear strategy uh that puts i said about you know and a more inclusive government—that's what another thing I should have said. So I, I add that to have inclusion of women, not just inclusive with uh, non-Taliban members or minorities, but also women according to their rules and traditions. I'm not saying they should look like, uh, you know, uh, in, 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 a woman in a Western country. No, that's not women's freedom. As long as they have access to to workplace, access to healthcare, access to education those could be put there as part of the the recognition as Mark was saying before mm-hmm. recognition deal you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. yeah
1: mm-hmm. Yep. so doctor one last question and this is kind okay. of a broad one it's Go gonna uh, but w- what do you see Afghan in the future what do you see what's gonna happen there do you
2: think <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't like future questions uh, because in the Middle East one thing is whatever you say it's gonna hit you in the face but look Afghanistan has survived this country has been there since 1747. At the little empire, and then it was. Uh, I think the, the the most amazing thing about Afghanistan is that it still is intact, and with all these civil wars, all these fightings, they have fought every major power that we have had in the past few years in, in, in history, and and yet they still have kept their their Afghanness, if you would, with all the divisions. Still, there is something that keeps them together. So that is a miracle. And I think there are people who, as we saw, if given a chance, they can actually do contributions. So I see another few years of of mayhem. Uh, The key, again, is what would the neighboring countries, specifically Iran and Pakistan, actually Pakistan and Iran, those two, how they play the game. If they're left alone and the Taliban don't go back to the 1990s Taliban, I think you may see a societal readjustment. What the Taliban did, which we did not, the Taliban knew the Afghan society much better than us. Mm-hmm. We, we, you know, somebody spoke English or looked like us, we liked them and said, yeah, I, I look like Afghans are like us. Uh, we never really went deep into the society. This comes back to the PME. The professional education It's not just... Knowing the cultures, knowing, understanding the societal dimension of, of strategy, something that we forget. There are four dimensions in the modern last 10 years or 20 years. We don't look at the societal aspect more. I think the Afghan society understanding it would readjust itself and and will, will reemerge if uh, F, the key is here, if the neighboring countries do not make Afghanistan again like 1990s as their uh, area of proxy warfare. And that's a big if, but if that, that happens, you're gonna have civil war for a long time. If that doesn't happen, I think societally, the country will readjust itself. It's not something that we will love uh, or we will feel comfortable, but I think it will readjust itself. And the society has learned what we taught them or helped them learn. We didn't teach them. They, we allow them an opportunity to learn in the last 20 years uh i think the effects of that is not going to go away very soon if the opportunity is given meaning that there's no killings everywhere or all the schools are not closed so i i i don't see the glass totally half empty uh i just see it right like now i don't know which way the glass will go it's it, it's 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 a bad time for the country but uh, the last several decades of afghan history since i would say since 1978 has been pretty bad. Uh, but, uh,
0: well, sometimes I like your you
1: optimism. I, I love your optimism. I love your
0: optimism. Well,
1: Doctor, listen, we, we have kept you long enough on your vacation. Yes. Um, I want to thank you so, so much for coming and chatting with us. For those of you who are listening, again, we had Dr. Amin on. He is the co-author of the book, The Taliban in Crisis of Afghanistan, as well as the director of Middle East Studies, for the Marine Corps of the University. He was not talking today as on behalf of any government agencies, just chatting with a couple of folks. So, Doctor, we cannot thank you enough. And sometime I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about what it was like uh, being a 14-year-old in Afghanistan mm. when the Soviets invaded. <laughs> uh, Anytime. That's-
2: Let me know. And... and, and, and- Blessings to you and your family. Merry Christmas for if you celebrate. Yeah. If not, yeah, so have a happy holiday and be well and and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you, thank you, your thank your doctor, doctor. And the best Merry to you Christmas to all to you watching.
1: Oh, sorry to all you watching. You can follow us on Rumble, YouTube, Facebook, all the social media outposts. Also, if you subscribe and become a subscriber to our podbean for only five dollars, you get your choice of books from our past guests like today's guest, Dr. Tazi, and his incredible book, The Taliban and the Crisis of Afghanistan. So follow us on social media, like, comment, and share with your friends. And thanks a lot. Joy? Thank
0: you, Mark. Doctor, and to all our listeners, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And uh, join us next year as we continue to bring you the stories on protecting your freedoms.
1: Thank you, Doctor. Thank you, everyone.
0: Thank you. Thank
1: you very much. Have a good one. Have bye a great bye. day. Too. Merry Christmas, sir. Merry Christmas. You. Yes. Bye-bye.